Well, go ahead and have a seat. And um, my name is Chris. I am the small groups pastor uh, here at Southwinds. And so one of the things that I just want to kind of let you know, we just started a series. Pastor Mike started a series last week called Tell Me a Story. So I want you guys to say it with me. Tell me a story. Oh, I'm glad you guys asked. So I'm going to go ahead and share you guys a story. But before I do that, I kind of want to kind of just kind of pull. I like to kind of pull uh, just our group here this morning because I want to hear, any, anybody love blockbuster type movies? Anybody just like the summer movies that kind of come out? Anybody that's like, there's like nobody here that likes it. My wife and I, we love blockbuster movies. And I just want to let you know, like I, we, we love going out to watch those Marvel movies, like the Ant-Man and the Wasp and stuff. If you got a chance to watch it, it's pretty good. I'm not going to give you you anything. However, I will tell you, because every time I watch a Marvel movie, there is something at the end of the credits, and then there's something at the end of those credits, do not leave. And it just, uh, it's, it's great, and it also leaves you in anticipation of the next one. There's another blockbuster movie that's out there, uh, Jurassic Park. I think it's Jurassic Park 14. You know, it's just like, it's like the dinosaurs have dinosaurs after dinosaurs, and they try to find an island and stuff. There's Incredibles 2. That's, you know, I have kids now, so, you know, I still have kids, actually, not kids now. But Incredibles 2, like 14 years later, later, so it's kind of weird to see the connection they did that, and I think coming out here soon is Mission Impossible 14 or 28, where Ethan Hunt gets grandkids and tries to, you know, change diapers, and that's the impossible mission inside of that. You know, I think some of the reasons why my wife and I love going on dates and going watching movies is one, for sure, lots of action, right? There's tons of action in the movies. There's always something uh, where they have to overcome in that movie. There's also, usually the majority of the time, a near-death type of experience. Uh, there's challenging comebacks where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they overcome that. You know, and you're like, of course, because they've got to make another movie after this. And so, and then also at the end of the movie, there's usually that meaningful message at the very end, right? And it's kind of like, oh wow, I'm so glad I got to hear this. But here's the thing. What happens though, when those stories become our own? And now all of a sudden, when they become our stories, now when there's so much action, we just wish that it would just simply stop. Or what happens in, when there's a near-death experience or there's actually a death experience, and now we're going, God, why is this my story? Why do I have to hear it? And why does this have to be my own? Or the other side is that what happens if that challenging comeback feels like it's a never-ending story? And you just feel like, when is this all going to end or when I'm going to finish this journey that God has called me on. Or maybe for some of you, when you're saying, I want the meaningful message of why my life is going the way it is. I want to hear why God has it. And maybe for you, you're just going, man, God, bring me that meaningful message. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to be jumping into the book of Joshua. I know Pastor Mike shared like the entire book of Esther, which is a little shorter. Now we're going to go through the whole book of Joshua this morning. It's only going to take us like 45 hours. And so we'll be here till Monday, call in sick, and we'll be sentenced, ready to go. Now we're only going to go through nine verses of Joshua. But my prayer is that as we kind of look at the beginning of Joshua's story, that what you're going to see is we're going to start seeing and how um, we're going to look at seven keys on how living out our story with God's story really looks and how it intersects. But before we actually get there, and again, if you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, just go and open it up there, put your paper in there. What we are actually going to hear is we're going to hear another life story from a person that sits along you every single morning, every single Sunday, not every single morning, that would be weird. You're like, I don't even know it. No, it's every single Sunday morning. 
um, and his name is Eric. And Eric is a neighbor of mine. He is a brother in Christ. He is, a, he is in my small group. And God is just really, I am just super blessed to know that God has put him in my life over these last years. So, and he moved in, I moved into, I, I call it my neighborhood, but it's actually, he lived there 20 years or 15 years earlier, but it's still my neighborhood. So with that, I'm gonna introduce Eric to share his story a little bit. ago, I sat amongst a lot of you as Pastor Mike spoke, but his words passed right through me. My mind was elsewhere. I bowed my head and I stared at the ground and watched the tears fall to the floor. I was broken. I was lost. I questioned my faith and my understanding of the Lord. Who was God? Do I matter to him? And if so, why? I closed my eyes and my mind was bombarded with mental thoughts and images that I can't really describe. I dug my fingernails deep into my scalp, and I wanted to scream. I wanted some relief from the pain and emptiness that I felt. I prayed, God, I feel like jumping off a cliff. I got an immediate and quite firm response. Go for it. How did I get here today? It's been almost five decades of experiences, some good, some bad, and a whole lot of repetition in between. I grew up knowing Jesus, but knowing nothing about him at the same time. My spiritual life has been pretty stagnant for most of my life. God brought Tammy and I together 21 years ago. She had two beautiful daughters who, in time, both came to accept me fully. When we met, Danae was 11 and Tiffany was 18. These ladies have given me life in the literal as well as the figurative sense. God gave me a family, and we remain strong even when through the toughest of times. Almost two years ago, Tiffany became very sick and was also pregnant. Tammy called me at work and told me Tiff was having an emergency C-section. I dropped my tools and I started on my hour drive to Modesto. Halfway there, I received a text message that said, he's crying. I responded with, so am I. Israel was six weeks premature and sent to the neonatal intensive care unit. The next couple of days, it appeared as if Tiff was getting better. She was able to nurse and bond with her newborn son. But the reality was that her condition worsened and she was finally diagnosed with valley fever. She was flown from Modesto to San Francisco for specialized care, and this is, when the, this is the moment that I realized how serious this situation really was. That evening, she flew to San Francisco. I, was, I had taken a separate car to the hospital. Driving home, I felt empty. I felt alone. I felt emotions that I've never felt before. I talked to God on that ride home. I asked questions, but I got no answers. I screamed at the top of my lungs, and I tried to make deals that I could never possibly repay. God, do you hear me? We spent the next three weeks getting somewhat positive progress reports from Tiff's medical staff. She was improving according to the numbers, but in my mind, she was going to fight this and win. The seven days from Thanksgiving till December 1st, 2016 was the hardest week of my life. It was that week that I saw Tiffany's chance of survival dwindle. Failed procedures and an infection that just couldn't be controlled was taking its toll. Tiff's body was being kept alive by machines and the doctors just couldn't fix her. 
Knowing that nothing more could be done, the decision to let her go was, was made. While family was arriving, Tiffany's sister, Danae, went in alone and cleaned her up a bit. There was a whiteboard in her room listing doctors and nurses' names, phone numbers, and general notes for the staff. There was a blank space that was labeled plans for the day. Danae filled in the blank. She simply wrote heaven with a heart-shaped smiley face. What a profound statement, an acceptance that it was okay for Tiff to leave this world as she was already in the arms of Jesus. With some of her family gathered around, we were with her as she took her last earthly step. Tiff passed at 3.33 p.m. By 3.34, there was very little in my body that felt strong and courageous, but that, this, that day was far from over, and God still had plans for the rest of it. Israel was still in the NICU and had been having episodes of apnea. He would be given a release date, but within three days, he would have another episode. Just hours before Tiff passed, we received the call that Israel was cleared to be released. God and the NICU had taken care of the babysitting for the final couple of weeks so that Tammy could spend as much time with Tiff as possible. It was by God's grace that we were able to drive to Modesto and bring him home the same day his mama's plans for the day were fulfilled. Tiffany was a woman of God, and she and I would talk about Jesus often. She'd try to get me to commit my life, and I always told her I was fine. I knew God and I was okay. Tiffany changed my life 21 years ago, and her passing changed how I live my life today. At a time that I wanted to isolate from everything, I somehow found the courage to run toward my unknown. The more I thought that I wanted to be mad at God, the more I was drawn in. I don't know if I'll ever understand her passing, but I have no other choice than to accept it. I choose to look at the blessings of her life and the miracles that did happen during her illness. Joshua 1.9 have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Sunday, the 12th of February, 2017, I walked into this sanctuary alone. I had never been to a church without somebody bringing me, dragging me, or expecting me there in some way. Just two days prior, I attended, and this time stayed, at a Celebrate Recovery meeting. The previous Sunday, I surrendered my eight-year opioid addiction to God. I made a vow to refresh my marriage and to show my family the rest of me. I put it all out there. I laid down my sword and I dropped my armor. I gained strength in my weakness and I mustered the courage to surrender my life to Jesus. I honestly didn't know what that meant or what was next, but I finally saw that the door I presumed to be locked was always wide open. This brings me back to the cliff that I wanted to jump from. Where did the go for it response come from? I believe it was God, but what did he mean? I welcomed the literal answer, God doesn't love me. That's the easy answer I was looking for. That's the self-pity answer that would reassure me that I'm not worthy of his grace. The answer was right in front of me. The real answer was right in front of me, and it's only a matter of perspective. My original thought was never suicidal, it was metaphorical. I knew that in my heart. I was just overloaded with grief and burdens that I hadn't released or properly, properly released to Jesus. God knew that, and I know that my go for it answer was to ensure me that I can stand on that cliff and not be afraid, not be discouraged. The Lord, my God, will be with me wherever I go. Again, metaphorically speaking, I jumped, and I didn't fall. I was far from peaceful, but my first step had been made. 
The months to follow, I found that accepting Jesus is only a step, albeit the biggest, in my journey through life. I was baptized this past September and now attend church regularly. I attend a weekly Bible study, and I've got a great group of brothers that hold me accountable. I attend Celebrate Recovery every Friday night, where I also lead an open share group. I don't want to convey that my acceptance has left me without questions or, I'm that, I'm, or that I'm the Christian today that I want to be tomorrow. But the wider I open my eyes, and sometimes more importantly, my ears, the more I see God working in me, the more I see God using me. God showed me a first step. Tiffany showed me a last step. The footprints I leave in between are what shape my own plans for the day. Thank you, and God bless. Let's just share Joshua next week and just go home, right? Man, I love, uh, I've had an opportunity just to read and read and overread his, his testimony this last couple weeks and just hearing it and knowing just where God has been. And he's been, we've been in a step study. We took us over a year to get through. It's not like a nine-month study, but it took us a year. But it's because God just continued just to process what, what we've been through. And it's amazing when God uses you in incredible ways, this is strong and courageous, right? To be up here and just say, I'm gonna share my story with people. And what's amazing as well is this, is that not every story is the same, but every story can point you back to God. And it's super important for us to understand that when we hear a story, that there is so much behind it there is so much that hits you in the heart. And when we open up the scriptures, we have to understand that, that there is a life that happens in the midst of those passages. And when we open up and we're about to read Joshua's story, you have to understand what was leading up to that moment. You see, Joshua was getting ready. As we get ready to read this, Joshua was getting ready to take over God's Israelites' people. And he just spent 40 years following and being an aide to Moses. And there's so much that is happening inside of his heart and inside of his life where now all of a sudden God is saying, I'm ready for you to take over. And I know that most of us, when we feel like God is ready going to use us, when we want God to use us, we want to be at full strength, Right? We want to be at that moment where we're like, oh, yes, I'm so ready. I've been prepped. I'm prayed for, and I feel good, and I'm ready to go. But I don't believe that's where Joshua was at this moment. I believe what he was at is he was at a point where he had just lost his family and his friends and the people and the generation that never got to see what was going to happen into this promised land. And that's where we arrive here today. And so what we're going to read and what we're going to look at is we're going to look at seven keys on how we can live out our story with God's story. But first, I'm just going to go ahead and read Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and just kind of help take this in as we get started here. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all the people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. To the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot. 
as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite countries to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law of my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so the first key that we're going to look at this morning and how our story and how to live out our story with God's story is this, is that not all stories start the way we like. You see, 40 years earlier than the passage we had just read, we know and probably have read majority of it where we hear about how the uh, Israelites were in Egypt and then they were being tortured and, and put into slavery. And then all of a sudden, Pharaoh just kept on putting more pressure and more pressure in production. And then finally, God was saying, listen, it is time for you guys to go to the land that I had promised you. And they go into the desert. And in about a couple of years into this, again, this is a two years into a 40-year journey, God says, all right, what I want you to do, there was 12 tribes of Israel, and he goes, I want you to choose 12 people, one for every, one person that represents every tribe in Israel. And I want you, and here's the crazy part, this is the part that is so hard to comprehend in this story. But he says, I want you to send 12 people into the promised land. And he, I want you to head this way. And guess how long it took him? 11 days. It was an 11 day journey to the promised land. And what they did was, is that their job was to send a report back to hear of everything that was there and whether or not that really was the land that God had promised. And what happens is they go and they spend 40 days in the promised land excavating, checking things out, seeing what was there, examining everything. And when they came back, here's what the report was. One, it says that they had cut a cluster of grapes and it took two men on a pole to carry. I have a grapevine in my house and it probably takes a pinky to carry what I've grown in the backyard. And here you are, these guys are clearing a cluster on a pole saying, look at what we just brought back from the promised land. And not only that, they're giving reports that there's pomegranates and figs. And you have to see that as they're in the desert, they weren't taking time to grow things. They were only receiving the things that God had given them. And so as those men spent those 40 days there, and they're sharing all these great things, then in that moment, the story gets a little bit more difficult. You see in Numbers chapter 13, verses 28, they give a report. They also say this though, but... But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and they're very large. And in that very moment, what they're saying is this, 
They're saying, it's scary out there. There are some big people out there. And not only that, they have this grasshopper mentality where they're saying, those people are so large, they made us look like grasshoppers. And so they had grasshopper syndrome. But finally, they also said, the final report was this. From 10 out of the 12 people, they said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And then all of a sudden, that bad report began to start going across all the Israelite people. And I don't know if it's kind of like what we happen on Facebook. It's like they posted bad news, big people ahead, we cannot win. And all of a sudden, like repost, repost, share, share, like, like, dislike, this angry face. And it just starts going across all of the Israelite people. But they rather had gone back. And this is the part, if you continue reading in Numbers in 13 and 14, all you keep on hearing is then all the Israelite people saying, why did we leave Egypt in the first place? If that's going to happen is there, why are we wandering in the desert? And they all as a group decided, 10 out of the 12 said, we cannot go and fight. And then God told Moses this. He says, listen, I'm hearing those people complain and they're afraid of what I am sending them to. And so this is what's going to happen. For the 40 days, for every day that you spent in the promised land that I told you that I would give you, you have to spend one year in the desert. And that's why it took them 40 years in the desert to get to that promised land. And I want us to just process that moment. Just let it sink for a moment because there is something that God has for every single person who calls him Lord. That God has set something incredible for you and there is something that looks so insurmountable to you. But God is saying, listen, I can get you through it. And the question is, as we kind of look at our stories, are you going to take a 40-year journey to get there or are you going to take an 11-day walk and say, thank you, Lord, I'm all yours? So you see, the second key on how to live our story with God's story is this, is that you are never alone in writing of your story. In Joshua 1.5, it says, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many of you guys have ever heard that part of passage before where he says, he will never leave you nor forsake you? Anybody ever hear of that before? All right, so I would say we're on the kind of the same page here. But I want us to kind of process before. How many of you guys have actually believed that your whole entire life when you're going through something really difficult? How many of you times where you've been through it, and I know that for us and the way that God had really synced to Eric and I's stories, because we've both lost children, and that there's a moment where you know that they're going to be passing and you're thinking, God, I thought you said you were never going to leave me nor forsake me. But the reality is, is that God is there every single moment. And what he's trying to do to Joshua in this moment is saying, I know you've lost thousands of people, but I am still with you. I am not going to leave you. I am not going to forsake you. And I'm sure there was some hesitation when he's hearing God saying, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. But you have to remember that there was 38 years that he had to process being in the desert 
going, God, we saw what you promised, and yet we walked away from it. But here's something cool. You see, Joshua and Caleb in Numbers 14, 9 said this. As, God was, as they were reminding the Israelites, they were saying, only don't re- rebel against the Lord. This is Joshua and Caleb, two out of those 12 people selected to go to the promise. And he says, only don't rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the land because we will swallow them up. You can see how charged and excited he was. Their protection is gone. But then he goes, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And you can see the excitement that 38 years previous, they're saying, listen, their protection's God. God is with us. He is never going to leave us. And yet they chose to go back and wander into the desert. And now Joshua is needing to hear those words from God again saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is a spoiler alert, but as you continue reading through Joshua, he conquered 31 kings in 32 years and died at the age of 110. And it's amazing to know what God had ahead of him in this journey. The third key on how to live our story with God's story is that we need to know where the source of strength and courage comes from. We need to know the source and the strength and courage where it comes from. You see in Joshua 1.6 when he tells them, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. I love this picture here. You see, God has called them now into the promised land, but you know what he didn't do? He didn't take away the battles. You see, I think sometimes we have this idea that as soon as we say, I want to follow the Lord, that it's going to be easy. That now all of a sudden God's with me. But here, it directly shows us that there was 31, at least 31 battles that he had to have while he was living in the land that God had given him. But here's the cool part. He won every single one of them. He still had to go and battle and fight. There's a saying when I took a trip to Israel and I was doing the tour and there's something that our tour guide continually said and I thought it was interesting when he finally kind of, we went into it and he says, he goes, I want you to picture this. We're in the promised land. He goes, but there's a saying that we say here in Israel saying, you still have to milk the cows and till the soil. And so what happens is, is that there's something that I believe that when we have a relationship with God, when we, we have this relationship with Jesus, when we said he is our Lord and he is our Savior, that we also have to arrive at this point that we still got to continue to say it needs work and it needs preparation because God is going to have you in the battles of your life. But the idea is this, is that we also have to remember that he is with us that we need to be strong and courageous through the battles that God has given you. And you need to know where the source of strength and courage comes from, which leads us to this next part in our fourth key on how to live out our story with God's story, and is this. You need to know what to be strong and courageous in. I love this second reminder. And my daughter, uh, it says this. It says, be strong and what? very courageous. Not only just be strong and courageous, but be strong and what? 
very courageous. Now, I want you to kind of give you this story really quick. My, my daughter plays softball, and she's beginning to, we had a tournament just a couple of weeks ago, and they had seven games, seven games, seven games, <laughs> gotta say this right, seven games in two days, three on Saturday, four on Sunday, and it was all in 100 plus degree weather. And you could see my daughter, when they're getting ready to go and play this last championship, they're all just dragging, going, oh, we have to play it. And I'm just thinking, get back in there. They have to play at the same time as you. I'm just the dad sometimes, you know. I said in a loving way, but still, it was, I felt like I should have just used this passage. Be strong and very courageous. Get out there and do that. But after seven games in 100 degree plus weather, they won. But the idea is that there's times that we have to remember where does the source of strength come from? What happens that when, when as Eric is going through those processes that he needed to turn to, and the idea is, is that we can be strong and courageous in ourselves, but eventually we might let ourselves down. We may have somebody in our lives who's saying, I think that they are strong and courageous for me. And every time that I'm weak, I go to them and they help encourage me. But there's times where maybe they're not available. Or maybe they pass away. And you feel like you've just been left alone. And the idea is, is that if we don't have our source and strength of where God wants us to go, and in God, that everything else will begin to fade you see, in the New Testament, there was this one guy whose instantly life was changed, and his name was Paul, and he's writing to the church at Corinth, and he's telling him about this thorn in his side, but there's something important that he shares with him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, and he tells him this, because he's telling him where his source of strength comes from, and this is Jesus' direct words to Paul, and he says this, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm even hearing some people saying sufficient because you know this passage, right? My grace is sufficient. It's enough for you. But then we also have to understand the second part of this verse. And it says this, for my power, that's Jesus speaking to not only Paul, but Jesus speaking to us. He says, for my power is made perfect in what? Oh, you guys, that was weak. My power is made perfect in that's right. It's per Yeah, you say weakness. Why? Because majority of the time you say weakness is because weakness is like, oh, my life is tiring. Man, I'm so burdened. Man, I feel weak. Man, I feel like I can't do this. But here's the greatest part, is that in the moments where you feel your weakest, that's when God begins to fill you at his strongest. And that is what Joshua was using in this very moment. And here's the part. He doesn't let up. It doesn't matter where you are a, a first-time follower of Jesus and you feel like, I have something to battle. I have some addiction that I need to get through. Or you are 40 years into your relationship with Jesus. He's saying, I'm not letting you go. But guess what? Your battles are not done yet. Just three, th three days ago, I was on vacation but I was supposed to submit my message to the office so they can print out in your bulletins this morning. And when I turned on my computer, it read, no hard drive read. The computer crashed. My sermon was gone. My next sermon is gone. And I'm going, man, God, why are you doing this, right? <laughs> I'm on vacation. 
And I have some really encouraging friends saying, did you back it up on the cloud? <laughs> no. <laughs> so I was up till 2 a.m. on my vacation, writing what I could, and then going to my wife and saying, well, I've got good news and bad news. This is before she even, I woke her up. This was like at two in the morning or midnight. I have good news and bad news. Well, what's the, you know, you're like, what's the good news? Well, the good news is that God is good. <laughs> the bad news is, is that my computer crashed. There are times when you just realize that everything that you plan and everything that you think you have set is done. And God's saying, I'm still in control. And in your weakness, I will be powerful. So I'm praying that he's going to be powerful this morning. But we need to know where our courage and strength comes from. Which leads us to our fifth key on how to live out our story with God's story. And that is that God often draws straight lines with crooked sticks. Let me explain that for a moment. But I want you guys to say it with me. I'm a crooked stick. We got to get to that point first if you really understand this passage. I want you guys to say it again with me. I am a crooked stick. Joshua 1.7 says this. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it. Do not turn from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. First of all, I love how God went political already in Joshua 1.7 when he says, do not go to the right or to the left. He says, stay focused on me. You see, in Revelation 1.8, it says this, that God is the uh, alpha, but he's also what? He is the beginning and the end. You see, God has a straight line to where he is going. But us, we take a journey. And sometimes we follow and sometimes we don't. And sometimes we doubt. And sometimes we don't. And then other times we're curious. Other times we may just be just apathetic and just saying, I am good as it gets right now. God, I'm ready. I'm done. Take me home. And God's like, are you kidding me? I still got 40 years of life in you that I got to use you in. And maybe for some you're going, I've read the stories and I don't want to follow them. But you're here this morning and I want you to recognize that you're in a room but with a bunch of crooked sticks who are on a journey together to a God that is on a pathway from the beginning to the end. And he knows where he's going. And church, I just want to encourage you that don't be afraid of what's happening in culture. God is not afraid of what's happening in culture. So do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. Do not go to the right. Do not go to the left. Know that he was there. And even though the Israelites had to wander in the desert for those next 38 years because they chose not to go to the place that God was with them, guess what God did for those 40 years? Their sandals didn't wear out. He traveled with them every single day. And during the day, he traveled with a cloud. I would have loved to have seen that, not the virtual cloud that we all know now, which I still need with a cloud. And he says, follow me, guys. And sometimes it would stay there for months, and other times it was calm to move. But at nighttime, bonfire every night, pillar of fire. And it was a reminder 
that even though they were afraid to go, they, it just still baffles me to think about that. And it's hard to think of that. But then I go, yeah, but you have the Holy Spirit and you sometimes rebel, don't you, Chris? Ah, oh, I was like, dang it. I just fight myself. But the idea is, is that we need to focus on God's love letter to us. And that what begins to happen is he starts changing what success really looks like in our lives. Which leads us to our sixth key verse, our sixth key way to living out God's story with our story, and it's this, is that focusing on the right things leads to a God version of success. Focusing on the right things leads to a God version of success. You see, in Joshua 1.8, he reminds him, he says, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. And then he goes, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I would really love for us to just walk away today and just go, you know what I learned today? When I'm following God, I'm going to be prosperous and successful. But here's what happens. He starts changing what the definition of prosperous and successful really looks like. When we have, when we meditate on his words, and how many people, anybody worry here? Anybody has ever worried about anything? Just raise your hand. Let's just be honest. Crooked sticks, right? We're all okay. But what happens is, is that if you, if you say, well, I don't know how to meditate. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Because it's about putting your meditation on the right things versus the things that we're worried about. If the Israelites who took 11 days just to get to the promised land would have just meditated on what he wanted them to go, we're not reading Exodus as much as we are now. And we're hearing more of the stories and the battles in the promised land. You see, staying on course starts with what we put in our hearts and our minds. And there's a scripture that if you're in a Wanaite, at Psalm 119.11, it says that I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not what? sin against you. You see, what happens is that when you put God's word in your heart, that is why it's important that when you rise up and you try to do a devotion or try to read a scripture or for you commuters, man, I think you could finish the Bible 12 times in a year just by simply putting on an audible version and just listening to it. You can go through the Bible so many times and and, and when you're in traffic, we need Jesus a little bit more, right? And stop telling everyone else that they need Jesus. (laughs) But we need to start putting that focus back on what God's doing in our lives. In the Gospels, there's another scripture that says, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. And if you want a really true caliber of where you're at in your life, is what are your words saying? What are your actions saying? And what you start realizing is that there's times that we all look like crooked sticks along with maybe married to a crooked stick. Mine is straight, though. I'll just let you know that. My wife is straight line. She's here at this service. That's why I said it. It's how not to have a crooked life afterwards, right? But the idea is is that that is the bar. And if, if you feel like you're wandering off, here's the cool part. Is God's the alpha and the omega, in the beginning of the end, and he's come here to live and die a life perfect for you, to die for the crooked sticks in this room, and to realize that we have to start worrying about who we are 
You see, the majority of the time when I talk to people and they're going, but Chris, you don't realize the life I've lived. You don't know who I am. You don't realize what I've done in my life. And I'm often, in the back of my mind, I think, you don't realize the God that I know and the God that loves me and the God who's forgiven me, who has said his grace is sufficient for me and whose power is made perfect, not in my strength, but in my weakness, which leads to our seventh key, and that is that the end of our stories needs to point back to God, God's story. The end of our stories needs to point back to God's story. And in Joshua 1.9, it says this, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. He says that for a third time for a reason, guys. It's because he needed to encourage Joshua. He knew what was going on in the inside. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And this is how God connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. Because you see in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, in a passage we call the Great Commission, where he tells people to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he also does this. He goes and he tells them this, but then he tells them, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, not only the reminders needed to happen in the Old Testament, the stories also go into the New Testament with a reminder to say, listen, God is with you to the very end of the age until the moment you take your last breaths. God is with you if you choose to call him Lord and Savior. My prayer for today is this, that as you heard Eric's story and how God brought him after decades of wandering back to him, and as you heard Joshua's story, who was ready 40 years earlier, but it took him decades to get back to God's story. My question is, where is your story? And are you ready to begin the journey that God has for you? And that maybe there's some big giants set ahead of you. And then maybe you thought, well, I did my contribution in what God wanted me to do. If you're here, he's not done with you yet. And maybe you're in the midst of a battle right now. And you need to be reminded that he is still with you and that he's not going to leave you. And here's the greatest part. We have to really change our definitions of our lives from temporal to eternal. Because what happens is, is that the moment you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you began your journey of eternal life. And we have to start realizing that what we are experiencing here is so short compared to the Alpha and the Omega story that we are going to be with forever. So do not be afraid. Do not be terrified. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for stories. Thank you for stories like Eric's. And Lord, these are not easy stories that he went through, Father God. I know it because I was able to walk part of this journey with him. But God, I thank you, Lord, that even while he was in 
those hospital beds with his daughter, crying out to you, and now with his grandson, crying out to you, the God that you were with him and that you never left him and that God, that there are still journeys and battles and there's journeys to go through that are difficult. But man, God, I thank you that your word has not changed. I thank you, Father God, that you loved us in spite of us, that you can love a crooked stick like us. And so, Heavenly Father, I just pray now, Lord, for maybe some of us here, that there's a decision is saying, listen, I am tired of living this life on my own. I'm tired of feeling like I am weak. I'm tired of feeling like every time I do something, I fail. But God is simply saying, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And just like Eric said, that he had to take a moment where he had to surrender his life to you, Lord. And God, he is, you are nowhere near finishing work with him yet. But God, I thank you, Lord, that he is walking with you. So God, I pray, Lord, that this morning we would just simply submit it and say, it is not my will, but it's your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Thank you, Father. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm so confused.